Hey, everyone, and welcome to New Way, the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Together, we're exploring the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to make sure that you know that we'll be gathering in beautiful Kansas City this fall, October 14th through 16th, for our national gathering. We would love to meet you there. Check out the link to the conference on our website, newchurchnewway.org. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. We have to find new ways to be church. Uh, Everybody doesn't want to worship on Sunday morning, and that's the end of it. And we have to look at ways of responding and helping the community to come to grips with where it is, what it is, and how God is acting in it. My guests today, the Reverend Carol Jenkins and Kearney Warren, go way back. Kearney is the founder of the Caregiver Society, a new worshiping community. Kearney's friend and mentor, the Reverend Carol Jenkins, was ordained during the Civil Rights Movement and now pastors T.M. Thomas Memorial Church in Chester, Pennsylvania, on the west side of Philadelphia. Together, we talk about the partnership between a traditional congregation and the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement, how gospel imperatives shape the church's witness, and the intersection between social justice and pastoral authority. Reverend Jenkins and Kearney, would you tell us a little bit about how you both came to know one another? Because you go way back. <laughs> way, way back. <laughs> I don't know how way, way back. I <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I've known Kearney since before she was. Hmm. Uh, I was her mother's pastor hmm. when her mother was in junior high school and have known her ever since talked with her. It was one of the persons primarily who talked her into going into the ministry. Hmm. And from that point on, uh, after Kearney was born, I've been in her life one way or the other since she was born. Um, Kearney, when you look back, do you remember Reverend Jenkins as a, as a child? Um, or when did you all come to know one another in a working relationship in ministry? I do remember Reverend Jenkins as a child. He's been in my life since I can remember. He was my mother's mentor and her pastor when she was a teenager growing into an adult. And now Mm -hmm. he's also my mentor and supervisor. So it's like my life has gone full circle, uh, watching my mother grow in her profession and being around Reverend Jenkins and his wife, my mother and Miss Nancy we're really great friends. And so it's, it's exciting to look back to my childhood, viewing him as a a pastor and seeing him as my mother's colleague and mentor. And now we are building the same type of relationship. Hmm. Um, Reverend Jenkins, you mentioned this um, emphasis that you have had from the beginning of your ministry and I would imagine before that of bringing um, understanding and an emphasis on the civil rights movement and what's going on out in the community into the pulpit and into conversations that the church is having in worship. Um, For those pastors, elders, leaders, churchgoers listening, I would imagine that uh, there's a broad continuum, some of whom feel a sense of surge of excitement, some of whom would say, absolutely, this is 
what we do every Sunday. And then there are others on the side of the continuum who might say, if I open my mouth to say these things, I'm going to be booed out of the pulpit. I'll lose my job. Um, I'm wondering if you felt that tension um, or what it was like as an African-American pastor during that time um, to to decide what you communicate about. Yeah, I came into the ministry at that time a full-blown revolutionist. Hmm. Uh, I came in teaching black history, community participation, community involvement, and the church having a role in society that helped it to be the church. It was not inside the walls. It was outside the walls. And she understood that. Mm -hmm. I came in teaching black history to the adults and teaching black history for young people. And she participated in all of that mm -hmm. and was in my youth group and traveled with me to various conferences and things like that. When you think about the church in the 21st century, um, what's your assessment of it? And are we in a different place than we were at that time? In some ways, uh, the church then, well, let me just back up. Uh, I helped her to go to Johnson C. Smith University Seminary, and she wanted to learn, teach education and, I said, and reading. And I said, well, why don't you go where you can do both? And so she went to Atlanta and ended up in the church rather than teaching mm -hmm. reading as a way of saying the church then was a different place and added and had a different lifestyle that fits in the 21st century. The church can't be what it has always been. You know, the, the church as it has always been is dying out. So we have to find new ways to be church. Uh, everybody doesn't want to worship on Sunday morning and that's the end of it. Young people are looking at the world differently. <laughs> than the folks who worship on Sunday morning all the time. Young people are here, but they are addressing the church differently. So we have to find different ways to speak to them and keep them involved, as yeah. well as a changing community. You know, the community around the church has changed, and we have to look at ways of responding and helping the community to come to grips with where it is, what it is, and how God is acting in it. Mm. Why would a historic church like T.M. Thomas Memorial um, at this point partner with a new form of church? I mean, if you theoretically, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, could could reach out into the community as T.M. Thomas Memorial itself um, through an awareness, a, you know, a consciousness raising in that particular community, in that particular church of the need to be out in the community. But you all have been doing that so long, and now you're leaning into, with Kearney's leadership, um, a way of being church in partnership with a church that's birthing right there in Chester, Pennsylvania, in your own neighborhood. Don't you have like enough going on, or <laughs> is it complicating things for you? <laughs> we, we never have enough going on, <laughs> because our sense is where the people are and what the needs are, we have to try to find a way to be involved in that as we help to change the quality of life in our community. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that we are doing, we always have done. Some of the things are relatively new, but we understand that as the age in the community continues to change, as the community around us continues to change, we have to change and be able to reach out in new ways. 
when we introduced the idea of having a a thousand and one worshiping community that would be non-traditional, non-conventional, and would not be worshiping in the style that we do every Sunday, because it wouldn't be just bringing members in unless they decided that they wanted to relate. But we were trying to build a community that might well be very separate from us. The intent was not to grow this church, but to begin to look at how to help another group of people come together with an understanding of how the witness and grace of Jesus Christ can enrich their lives. If it meant they came together to worship differently if or pray differently or be energized differently, that was all right. And so as I talked to the session about it, they were willing to go along with that idea. And so here we are even talking about utilizing some facilities that are separate from the church itself to enable the life of that community as they gather to continue to unfold. Kearney, would you tell us a little bit about this um, new church that we've referenced? You are, um, your group is called the Caregivers Society. Um, I wonder if you could give us a glimpse into um, how that particular emphasis came to be. Sure. The Caregiver Society was created as a result of me working as a caregiver for several family members throughout my young adult and my adult life. Working as a caregiver, I encountered other caregivers. And in doing so, I realized that caregivers have special talents outside of their profession. For example, uh, some of the caregivers who were working with my family members, I would notice that they had these special gifts um, that they would share without being asked. One woman in particular, she had a love for gardening and um, just doing little things around the house without being asked. And I can remember one day, I came downstairs and there was a floral arrangement on the dining room table that I thought she purchased. So I thanked her and I asked where she got it from. And she told me she got it from our flower garden. Mm -hmm. She had just gone outside and pruned the rose bush and cut a couple of lilies from the calla lily plant. And she arranged the, the flowers on our table. And another woman she was able to apply my mother's makeup and comb her hair in a way that I just couldn't do it. And I realized that these were special gifts that they had within themselves that had nothing to do with um, their job responsibility. Hmm. And from there, I realized that as caregivers, we give so much to other people, to our patients, to our loved ones that we're caring for. And sometimes our own personal goals or dreams are put on a side. Um, according to a, I believe, 2016 survey, there are currently 43.5 million caregivers who are unpaid uh, living in the United States, and a growing number of that group are millennials. Um, and so as a caregiver society, there's three parts to it. 
Um, it's to support the mental wellness, spiritual wellness, and physical wellness of caregivers. And in doing so, we have various activities. Last year, one of our main activities was focusing on vision boards and creating a space for our own personal goals. Because if we don't take care of ourselves as caregivers, if we don't replenish ourselves, then we don't we won't have anything to give to those who we are providing care for. And so many times caregivers um, often won't go to the doctors or you know, don't have time to just take a break. I recall one time I was tired and I felt so guilty and I had shared my feelings with a friend. And he said to me, he said, you know, Kearney, mothers get tired sometimes. So it's okay to be tired. But I felt like a terrible caregiver um, for feeling tired. And that's just a human, <laughs> that's that's what happens. If you're working a lot, you get tired. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, when you're a caregiver, you feel as though you have to do everything and um, that some other people are not as prepared or can care for your loved one or your patient as you can. So it's important for caregivers to realize that they also need to take a break and to get recharged physically, spiritually, and mentally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could, you could have this organization to support caregivers in Chester, Pennsylvania and beyond um, and have it not be a church. And I'm wondering why you lean into that broad understanding of ecclesiology, like that something like this, at this particular focus can be a representation of the church of the 21st century. Sure. Um, I think about Matthew eighteen twenty, that says where two or more are gathered in my name, so am I. And that correlates with the caregiver society. It's a, it's unique in the way that I don't dictate what happens in our gatherings. Gatherings, I allow it to happen organically, um, and we don't simply provide skills or education on the caregiving profession. Um, we gather to share and to give to each other, and to be energized within the spirit and to talk about how the Lord has blessed us and. Where can we go when we're feeling down? Um, the Caregivers Society gives caregivers that opportunity to go to like-minded people and people who can understand, um, not just through empathy, but because they're also going through the same. So the spiritual component of the Caregiver Society is what makes us unique. Um, we're catering to the caregiver's physical needs, their mental wellness needs, and we're tying in spirituality, the connection between the energy of the spirit and what happens when we share our blessings with each other. What do you believe that veteran caregivers know or understand about God that the rest of us may not know? I I feel that 
the veteran caregivers understand that God is able. As a caregiver, you are subjected to so many different types of emotions and different types of environments and situations at any given day or any given moment. And if you're a veteran, you know that you can't do that type of work alone. There has to be some type of higher power and there has to be, um, you have to have a strong um, faith to, to keep going because you see so much, you see sickness, you see death. If you're caring for a loved one, you see your loved one changing in front of your eyes, um, physically, mentally, sometimes. Caregiving over a period of time allows the veteran to understand and to begin to see the transitional participation of God in lives. They get tired and they feel renewed. They watch God's activity in the lives of people. For example, people who Caregivers who provide care for long-term Ill- people with long-term illnesses or terminal illnesses see how God's Spirit intervenes in the lives of the people that they're working with. Sometimes the long-term patient recovers and they see the healing presence of God. Sometimes they do not recover. And the, the, the caregiver sees the transition from the beginning of the failing health to the point that they actually transition on. And they can tell you how God is acting in various stages. When they've been at it a while, they begin to develop a dependence and a spiritual presence and strength from God that allows them to see this, participate in it, and be able to be a resource to family members and others who are gathered around because they've already experienced it and they know how God is moving in that particular activity and can then be a resource to interpret for others how God's grace and love is moving in that particular situation. Folks who have been at it a long time, even with non-tradition, with non-transitional folks, begin to feel at point the ebbs and flows, the times when they feel highly energized and the times when they feel deep depressed and physically and emotionally tired but then they in going on and when they're able to begin to be nurtured by their own spiritual life they begin to feel how that presence of God's spirit lifts them up and allows them to be renewed and refreshed and to move forward it also helps them when they begin to be fully aware of it to understand the relationship between caregiving and love and God's presence in the midst of it. There are times when God's love says it's time for you to step back, even though you do not want to, and allow somebody else to intercede so that God can renew their spirit. So I think veteran caregivers uh, learn and are able to help many folks deal with their own needs and spiritual health, as well as as they are providing services and resources to the people. I think it's a, it's a learning experience to learn not only how to see God's activity and relationship to them, but to see the return that they receive through the caregivers, through the people that they're providing care for, to see how God is nurturing and working with them. So I think 
caregiving provides a very unique kind of experience for the spiritual and emotional growth of folks. Do you, um, Reverend Jenkins, have a favorite story about Jesus or scripture that that you think of when you talk about the transitions of life and the way that God accompanies us? Well, there are a couple of them, but of course, everybody's familiar with the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and how Jesus comforted them, even though Lazarus had been physically gone. Uh, to, but one of my favorite stories is the story of the paralytic man who was cared for by friends. It doesn't say his family. It just says four people are carrying him on a bed and they wanted to be sure that he got to Jesus because they had faith enough to believe that Jesus could do what nobody else could do. They made sure that he got there and Jesus did not fail them. That that story is found in several of the gospels. Jesus did not fail them. When Jesus approached him, he ended up getting up out of his bed because of their faith in him and their willingness to continue to support and carry him around until they could find the solution, the help that he needed in order to get up from there. I use that from time to time to say that many times we are broken down, can't move, and it's other folks who come in hold on to us and help us to move forward until we run into Jesus and the faith of God that allows us to then pick up and begin to go forward now that that spirit is alive in us. And through us, others become equipped to go forth and to not only to go forth, but to appreciate, to love, and to respond and bring others to Christ because of their faith. So I think there are a lot of examples in the scriptures where that kind of faith imparted by folks who believed that Jesus could heal caused them to be committed and involved and supported until the kind of help came that they had faith would come. I love that you mentioned that story. And um, I also, you give um, the people, you know, a lot more credit about their scripture knowledge. (laughs) That is very familiar story. Um, If it, this, this, this healing that if you're, if you're listening, um, it's found actually in three different gospel texts, which That's we right. know that it, it's mm-hmm. an important story if it shows up that often. Um, Matthew 9, 1 through 8 is one of them. And right. what strikes me of that, I love that story also, um, because the, the people, the friends that accompany this man to find Jesus and be with him are not actually able to enter the doors where people are worshiping and are um, close to Jesus. They can't get to him because of the people around Jesus. And I love that as an analogy for this, where we find ourselves often in the church is that it's the people closest to Jesus that make it hardest to get to Jesus sometimes. That's true. So they actually, yeah, they cut the door open. They make an opening in um, the ceiling where um, everyone's meeting and they lower him down on a bed or on a cot or something to get him right in front of Jesus. That's right. This ministry that, that you are endeavoring with the caregiver society, this understanding that it's like, you don't have to go through the front door. You don't have to go through the side door or the welcoming committee that you, there are space available and, um, 
we can walk together to be with Jesus in ways that are unexpected and sideways. Right. See, and that's the other side of that, that, that God has a way of enabling it to happen hmm. if you're committed enough to carry it forward. Early in our conversation, we talked about what needs to change in the church, and that's been a theme of this um, this particular episode. What what stays the same for you both as um, as you work and live out your calling? Prayer and the needs of people, whether it's in a traditional congregation or whether it's outside of a traditional congregation. There's this thirst to receive help and to know more about God, and yet a reluctance to break away from cultural bindings that keep us from being able to really get to know and to relate to God. And I think with caregivers inside the church and outside the church, there's that same difficulty. Well, this is a really beautiful conversation. Um, there's just so I'm excited to think that people will be able to even just hear some of the sentences that you've spoken, um, Reverend Jenkins, about God, um, knowing the way that your faith has has been a guidepost for you. Um, it makes me like you know want to say, don't give up on the faith. Like there's people who've done real, (laughs) you know, it's just, um, I think this will be so heartening. No, you can't give up. I I know when I was in Kansas city, I talked about being a community organizer Mm -hmm. and looking to find the gatekeepers in the community in order to begin to access the community. And one, and I didn't elaborate on that in the sense that, but I never really departed the sense that the, the gatekeeper helps introduce you to the people in the community, but the ministry is directly related to what the needs in the community are. Mm -hmm. And the gatekeeper helps you to access that, that people then feel like they want to be a part of. And this is totally different from the way we used to build churches, where we just went in, said, this is what we offer, we invite you to come. And Mm -hmm. in that day and time, the traditional way was, People would come and be a part of that church. And when it got to be big enough, you know, you would charter it. This is very different because you're not talking about a building. You're not talking about a, a people already just coming to you. You're really going out and saying, what this is what we think we offer. Now, how, is, is this something that you want to be a part of? And, and what is it that your needs are? And how can we be a resource to that? And with, with the kind of ministry that's going on with caregivers, you know, it's it's grown for us mm-hmm. in the first year that we've been talking and trying to enable some things to happen here. It's far different because we've come to recognize that we need to participate in. Well said. Um, when you think about being a part of this new movement, I'm wondering what you hope says the same, either about God or about people or about leadership, your needs? You can go any direction with this question, but is there anything you hope stays the same? Yes. I, the main thing that I hope that stays the same is the, is the burning fire for, for Jesus. Um, the, the commitment to the church and the, and to the community. Um, those two 
aspects of church, I feel, are the cornerstones. They're the foundation. Um, because if you lose that burning fire inside of you for, for Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and if you lose the commitment to um, providing mission or being, you know, being mission oriented and being committed to the church and all of the programs and uh, the community and outreach, then what do you have? Um, We are the church. Personally, we are the church. And if we don't have commitment or that burning desire inside of us, then we're just empty shells. Hmm. I appreciate what you're doing, Kearney, um, the way that you're doing it, the heart that you bring to it, um, and just the beauty of this conversation today. Thanks for making the time. Well, thank you for having myself and Reverend Jenkins. Thank you. You can find out more about T.M. Thomas Memorial Presbyterian Church on their website, tmtchurch.net. Kearney's book, Caregiving for a Warrior, My Life with My Mother, Reverend Bernice Warren, is available now on Amazon. By the way, we cordially invite you to join us and the folks you hear on this podcast at the National Gathering for 1001, which will take place in beautiful Kansas City this fall, October 14th through 16th. Check out the link on our website for a list of speakers and events. Special thanks to the forward-thinking leaders of the Presbyterian Church USA who first launched this movement, and to the Presbyterian Mission Agency and leaders like you. Thank you for listening to New Way, podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Our producer is Martha Ames Sanders. You can visit our website, newchurchnewway.org, and see stories and photos of the humans involved in this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. Catch you next time. 